Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Kevin Vandergort, Used Equipment Manager for Hoover's Inc., an eight-store Case IH dealer in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're alerted when each upcoming episode is released. Before we turn things over to Casey, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who is making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. Casey and Kevin start things off talking about Hoover's market and Kevin's background and also get into their take on what the retail market looks like today in their markets. They suggest the tide has turned for used equipment values. Kevin, welcome to the show. Good morning, Casey. All right, buddy. So let's give me a little background on Hoover's and your geographical area that you cover and, and some of your crop mix that you hit. So Hoover started in 1941, actually the week before Pearl Harbor by a Bud Hoover. So we're third generation family Case IH dealership, Scott and Rod and Chuck. Scott and Chuck are the brothers, Rod's brother-in-law, and they are running the business today. Took over from their dad, Charlie, seven, eight years ago. Great family to work for, been in the business a long time. You know, they've seen ups and downs and been through it all. Started off up in Intercourse, Pennsylvania. International Harvester wanted Bud to sell tractors to the Amish. They still haven't been able to accomplish that. (laughs) So, you know, from there, we've got eight stores today. We've got three in Pennsylvania. We have one in Maryland. We have two in Delaware and two in Virginia. So essentially, we cover from about the North Carolina border to the Pennsylvania border throughout the Mid-Atlantic region. To you know, big, big, diverse region. We've got dairy. We've got chickens. A lot of chickens. We've got corn, soybeans, wheat, barley, vegetables, fresh market vegetables. We've got freezer packed vegetables. A bunch of sweet corn gets grown here in Delaware. Watermelons, cantaloupes, a lot of hay, especially out in uh, the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, like Hagerstown area of Maryland. There's a lot of hay and beef. Of course, all throughout Pennsylvania, you got all the dairy that's going on. Plus, there's in Lancaster County a lot of chickens got some pork. So, I mean, we've, we've got a nice, diverse agriculture in the area. And uh, it's, it's an advantage for us because, you know, we don't, we don't have to rely strictly on cash grain price. And due to the chickens, we typically have a positive basis. That doesn't say we don't still have the, the pressures that everybody else has across the country. And then uh, down in Virginia, there's uh, peanuts and cotton that's below the James River. So that's a really unique area for our Wakefield, Virginia store. Equipment down there tends to have to stay there because we can't grow peanuts or cotton anywhere else in the territory. So it makes that store a little bit difficult, but you know, it's again, any of the multi-location stores know how you're able to move equipment around and that's one of the advantages to having that. So so that's kind of our territory and the footprint that we cover. 
Are your stores diverse enough to where they're going to have enough differences to where maybe like tractors, for example, to move across your eight locations? Are you able to do that across your eight locations or are, is there enough variance between your locations that, that makes that difficult? Tractors, no problem. The only unique thing about like the Wakefield, Virginia area, those guys, they'll, they run big mounted rippers mm-hmm. with mounted planters behind that. So they've got to have the really high lift three point hitch. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it's one tractor can go anywhere in the, in the territory. I would say our Pennsylvania people, they want as fast as they can go road speed and on the shore, you know, the Dumbarton Peninsula, they're okay with the 25 miles per hour, but Pennsylvania wants 30 just because they tend to transport between places a little more. Mm-hmm. The northern, the, the Pennsylvania and some of Maryland, the roads are a lot narrower. So transporting equipment is, is pretty tough. On the peninsula, the roads tend to be a little wider. So we, we don't have that as much of a restriction there. Tend to have a lot wider equipment, but trucking this stuff is expensive. And so that's, that's one of the hard things is, especially our tillage equipment, it doesn't move too much between stores. Yeah. It's pretty much, if it trades in a one store, it's going to stay there, typically. So are you more of a row crop tractor area? Do you have a lot of articulated full drives or track machines, stuff like that? Or are you more of that 200, 300 horsepower row crop tractor size? It's a mix. We've got people over in New Jersey that are running articulated tractors. On the peninsula, running some articulated tractors. And in Pennsylvania as well. You know, with the 300 plus horsepower row crop, the articulate are slowly going away, at least in our area, just because people are more comfortable running that row crop tractor than they are articulated. Mm-hmm. So that popularity is switching. But yeah, we've seen it all. I mean, Charlie Hoover brought Stagger here back in the 70s. He sold a boatload of green Staggers and Krauss discs here in the East Coast for years. It's amazing how much stuff, how, how dynamically things have changed, you know, from one thing to other, just the horsepower size of row crop tractors and how they've kind of evolved over the time frame to where, you know, and I, I would assume, I'm just making an assumption here, but in your area, population size has got to have some effect on moving equipment around. I mean, you've got to have some pretty busy roads and stuff like that that you're working with. I mean, that's got to be a little bit of a challenge for the farmers and stuff in the area. A uh, big challenge. It's nothing to, you know, move a piece of equipment down the road and you got 20, 30 cars behind you and they're all impatient and wanting to get around you and ticked off. So I worked for a 5,000 acre cash grain operation in the Richmond, Virginia area before coming to Hoover's. Had a 9150 that one of the micro switches was going bad on the transmission. It was 430 on a Friday afternoon in Mechanicsville, Virginia, sitting in a traffic light when that micro switch decided to not work. And I sat through three cycles of the light in the left-hand turn lane. I had a Krauss disc and a rolling and a uh, packer. So, you know, what, 60 feet long? I had a lot of ticked off people, let me tell you what. I can imagine you weren't anybody's favorite person at that particular point in time. No, no. So, but yeah, you know, um, moving it up and down the road, that's something that we deal with here. And like you said, the population pressure, there's just, the urbanization of our area, we're losing ground every year. The people have no concept of what farm equipment is, of what the farm is. They want you out of their area. But they want to eat though, right? They all want to eat. Yeah, it's amazing how that works, isn't it? It's amazing yeah. how that works. 
All right, man. So let's jump into a little bit of your background. You mentioned earlier that you worked for a, a larger farmer before you started working here at Hoover. So give me a little background about yourself and how you got into this business. Uh, worked on a dairy farm in high school, and that's kind of what got me into farming. Because of that, went to Penn State, got a degree in ag systems management. Ended up down in uh, Richmond, Virginia, working for Bondioli and Pavese. They make PTO shafts and gearboxes. From there, ran into a farmer that I ended up going to work full-time with him. When I started there, we were tilling about 5,000 acres of corn, soybeans, wheat, and barley around the Richmond, Virginia area. And then picked up uh, another about 2,500 acres out around Charlottesville. Had an opportunity to come to Hoover's. Left the farm and, and came to Hoover's as a parts traveler. So I was doing parts sales to the farm and had all of Delaware and the peninsula, the rest of the peninsula south of Delaware, about 300 customers that I would see on a monthly basis. You know, I would come into the store in the morning, look at my uh, part sales that I had for that day, stuff I was going to be delivering, kind of ran a route and then load up the truck, go out, deliver stuff and talk with the farm and find out, you know, what they were going to need for the next time I was there and did that for almost seven years. That was right about the time we had a housing boom in this area. And so I thought that I really wanted to work for myself. And so I left and went to work as a contractor doing home remodeling. And then in 2013, ran into Chuck Huber and we uh, got to talking and I came back to work in August of 2013 and took over the job as used equipment manager for uh, a guy that was retiring after 20 years. So he had all the fun and I got into it right at the peak of that and had to figure out how to be a used equipment manager as values were plummeting like a rock. Right. That that was a very, very trying time. You went from, I think, was almost 10 years of the best years ever. Every year was better than the year before, and it seemed like there was no end in sight. And then all of a sudden, they turned the, the faucet off, and everybody went dry. But right now, so let's jump into what your retail marketplace looks like now, you know, post-2013. 2018, I kind of feel like there's somewhat of a leveling off of the marketplace. There's still a lot of equipment out there. There's supply, but it feels like, to me, when you talk to producers and they're looking at their equipment, they're upgrading their stuff because they have to, not necessarily because they want to. And I think that's driving sales that I'm seeing out here. So what are you seeing out in your area and how is that dynamic playing out there? Same thing here. You're hearing all kinds of the woes of the dairy market. And I'm not going to say it's not hard, but the guys that are good managers, they're making money. They're just not making money like they used to. You know, same way with the crop guys. The good managers are that and they can plan everything out well. And they're replacing a piece here and a piece there. And we're having a better year this year than we did last year. It was hard, but over the last, since 2014, we have really improved our inventory situation, used and new. It's down lower than it was before I started to the point where, you know, we're looking at some speculative buying. We've got some holes to fill in, in row crop tractors and a couple combines here and there that we need the right class of combine to satisfy some sales. So, you know, I'm excited. I think I agree with you. I believe the, the tide has turned. I want to say we've hit the bottom and we've turned the corner. I think we're going to be on a plateau for a while until crop prices start to come up a little bit. But I don't see us getting any kind of great increases in used values, but at least we're not falling year to year. 
even quarter to quarter. We take the lessons that we learned in the last two years, and it's going to help us be a whole lot more profitable going forwards. To your point where I think we've hit the bottom and turned the corner, I really agree with that. It would take some catastrophic event to really make it go down further. Um, you'd have to have trade issue or something like that. Whatever has happened with the Chinese, I guess they've come to some level of, of agreement there. So it looks like that's been averted for the time being. But if that were to happen, that would drive prices down. So more I look at the market, the more I study, I feel like we've stabilized and, and we're moving forward. But like to your point, I feel like we're going to be at a plateau now until we get some more cash in uh, producers' hands to start buying equipment again. We'll get back to Casey and Kevin in a moment. But first, a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and Kevin started their conversation discussing how the used equipment market has started to improve after a few tough years, but that values are likely to plateau for a year or more. Now here's Casey with a quick message about moving iron. Hello, I'm Casey Seymour, and I want to thank Farm Equipment Magazine for partnering with me to bring you the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps. The podcasts are taken from my weekly podcast, Moving Iron Podcast. Moving Iron Podcast is a podcast designed for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. The weekly podcast focuses on current events and trends across the ag equipment marketplace in North America. Along with dealers, I interview the biggest names in the ag industry. Chip Nellinger of Blue Reef Aga Marketing is a regular guest talking about commodity markets and risk management. You can also hear guests like Greg Machinery Pete Peterson and Tyne Morgan of the U.S. Farm Report. If you are in the ag equipment business or have an interest in the ag equipment business, this is a must listen for you. You can find the podcast at movingironllc.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. Also at movingironllc.com, you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you would like, you can send me an email at Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Thanks, Casey. Let's get back to the program now and listen in as Casey and Kevin talk about how farm consolidation is impacting equipment sales and how farmers retiring take equipment out of the market. They also touch on how planting went in their areas and concerns over how weather conditions might impact the growing season. The consolidation in our area, I know this past winter, I can think of three guys that all retired that I knew and were customers I used to take care of. And, you know, for us, so there's, there's three combines, there's 10 tractors, three sets of tillage pieces, three sets of planters that are all out of the market. So we're not getting any of that tillage equipment, parts business, because all that ground was, is going to be rented and farmed by a larger operation and they've already got the equipment. So that's going to be the new issue going forwards is how we deal with that and making sure that we've got a good game plan for the consolidation process of producers. I guess my biggest struggle going forwards is the big combines and big planters, like who's the second owner and how do I create that second owner for that piece so that I don't have it sitting on a lot as a yard trophy. I would agree, man. I struggle with that every day. It's, it's a day in, day out, always the same thing where it's 
you start looking at the price of equipment and you have a, a $400,000, $450,000 combine and the next guy in line to buy that machine is probably looking at something in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 350000 bucks if it's a one-year trade. The bad part about it now is that the price of used has gotten so high that they can also probably afford to buy a new one. It's that dynamic of how far back from new do you need to be and then to get that second guy interested and then how do you make sure that you get all these people financed. That's the hard part now is making sure people can get financed. And and with the way that operating notes are now and kind of the leash that the lending arm of our business has on our producers, it's hard to get guys in the driver's seat, per se, to move forward on some equipment purchases. Yeah, we've got that. I mean, the, the other aspect for us is just that big combine, that big planter, it's not going north. It's not going to go into Pennsylvania. And we just don't have enough other buyers on the shore or like the northern neck of Virginia to be able to absorb that on the U side. So we're really going to have to figure out how to, you know, team up with some guys in the West to try and send those to a, an area that can use them or come up with some other plan because uh, the infrastructure in the northern region just won't handle that big unit. And the, the customers don't want something that big for the most part. Are the planners and stuff that you're talking about, are they... Are you mostly 12-row planter area, or are you talking like your big planters are, are like 24-row and bigger? Is that what you mean by the big planters? We've got a few people running the 24-row, but yeah, a lot of 12, 23s, and some 16, 31s. Mm-hmm. You know, 16-row corn planter, pretty much that's going to be a big planter. How has the high-speed planter technology affected your area, so like precision planning? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, we're having good success with that new 2150 planter. Got a number of those units out, a lot of good report from the customers that have them. But aside from that, yeah, you've got a lot of guys that, you know, they go to crop shows in the winter and they come back and they're bolting this and that and everything else on a planter. And, and of course, they spend $50,000 on blinging out their planter and then they want all that money back whenever they want to trade it in. And it's it's right. impossible to do, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, planters nowadays, and I had this conversation just yesterday with uh, one of our sales reps, it's like they've gotten to the point now where there's such a fingerprint. Well, how one guy wants to set up and the very next guy that's his neighbor can't even fathom doing it that way. And it's just so hard to find that that second person that wants that exact setup the exact same way to go back out and work it. It's just it's just hard to find that. And it's getting harder as technology and and like you said, bolting things on here and there to get those things to work, but it's just getting harder and harder every year. Yeah. I've had a discussion with the sales guys that just like, you know, Hey, that guy, yep. He took a, a $35,000 six row planner and he turned it into an $80,000 planner, but that doesn't mean you're going to give him $70,000 in trade value because it's not happening. Right. You're going to have to go back and we're going to work from that base value and all that precision stuff. He's either going to take it off or we're not giving him anything for it because the next guy doesn't want it. Yeah. That's another thing, too, that I'm with the economy the way it is and with the producer looking to have the best possible situation for themselves, the most efficient tool they can have in the field. I am very interested to start watching the used precision planning market and what that looks like. Because like you said, you know, like you can take a 12-row planner, like you said, a $35,000 planner, and you can throw fifty grand worth of stuff on it, and you got an $80,000 planner, right? That goes back to that point earlier. Like if it's not exactly what the guy wants, then... I'm just interested to see how that works and what that, how that plays out. I guess in my conversations with the sales guys, I've said, look, this is kind of like a used car. 
I'm looking for a certain few things and the rest of it is fluff, but you've got to get that right buyer that's maybe willing to pay for some fluff, but your unit has all the basic things that he's looking for. Yeah. It's going to be a struggle. No doubt about it. Yeah. That's just one of those evolutions of the business. Every few years comes along some, something that we have to contend with. And this is just one of those things. So, all right, well, let's let's talk about this. And so we'll let's look out here through the rest of the year. I'm sure most of you guys are done planting out there. You've got corn in the ground, beans in the ground. Start planting cotton here for too long? Yes, down in Wakefield, we've had a boatload of rain. So we've got some guys that don't even have corn in the ground yet. Okay. Uh, we've got, I mean, corn that was planted, it's coming up. There's a 11-acre field behind my house, and they no-tilled it uh, a couple weeks ago. And I walked through it yesterday night. You know, it, it's popping. I was kind of wondering what it was going to look like after we had about 10 inches of rain last week. So, oh, wow. It, it's, it's up, looks pretty good. Beans that we're planting, they, they're, they're popping and, and looking good. So, we got plenty of moisture right now, but we just, like I said, we've got people that don't have anything in the ground just because they didn't hit it timely enough. We're getting ready to uh, start harvesting barley here in another probably about two, two and a half weeks. And then, jump right into wheat right after that and then they'll be uh putting in double crop soybeans and then we get to the lulls of summer while we sit and watch and wait and see what's going to happen so what's what are some of your biggest struggles you think you're going to face through the summer and months here i've got too many 12 row corn heads that i got to get rid of and i've had them for too long and i've got some big 8,000 and 9,000 series combines that i've got to get rid of They've been in inventory too long, and we've, we've got to get them moved. Make space for the next set of trades. It'll help to figure out where values are going to be for those next set of trades. That's probably my biggest area of concern in my used inventory. I'm okay on row crop tractors. Actually, I probably don't have enough in the right area. I've got some holes in my horsepower ranges that I need to get filled. Otherwise, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty excited about where our used inventory level is at, but those are my two big pain areas that I've got to deal with. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would kind of echo what you just said. I don't have – I'm more concerned about the holes in my inventory. Um, we start looking at gaps and like horsepower ranges and stuff like that. When you start looking at tractors, that's kind of one of my biggest concerns. The combine deal for me is always just uh, you just hope and pray that there's a good crop and there's no drought anywhere. And, and unfortunately, we've got the drought part going on. How that affects the sale of, of uh, used combines uh, coming up, I kind of worry about that a little bit and how that's going to affect my inventory that I have. I'm pretty much like you are. I'm, I'm excited about the way things are going, and I feel like there's some light at the end of the tunnel here that we can start seeing. And you know, going through the summer, there should be some positive things that happen, but I'm worried about how drought is going to affect the used combine market in the South. Crop market's been moving up here a little bit and a little bit last few days. Now that stuff's popping out of the ground, of course, that gives everybody some optimism. I'm hoping that that 10 inches of rain we got isn't going to be the, the last of it. If we could bank some of that for uh, July and August. We have a lot of irrigation. A lot of guys have irrigation on the peninsula. So the drought pressure isn't, I don't want to say it's, it's nothing we worry about, but you have that to fall back on. But I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that we're going to have a good fall. October, November, December, that's going to be the busy time of the year. So I, I want to get all of my pain issues kind of out of the way so that I'm ready to really roll with our used inventory into the final quarter of the year. And uh, 
hopefully have good sales. Yeah. And that's the hard part about being a used equipment manager. Your used inventory does affect the way that you're going to trade for the next generation machine that you have coming in, right? So if like in your in your case, you have too many corn heads, it's going to be hard for you to go out and put a bunch of more money in, in corn heads if, if you can't sell what you got, you know? So it's that, that ebb and flow of the trade cycle and market conditions and supply and demand of equipment on the marketplace. All those things have to kind of come together perfectly to make things run smoothly. When Great Plains went from the turbo till to the turbo max and really made the turbo till obsolete, and we didn't get ahead of that soon enough. So back in uh, late 2013, early 2014, we had about 25, if I remember right, turbo tills sitting on a lot. And so we put a, a stop and said, we are not trading anymore until we get that level down to about four or five, something that was more manageable. And it was tough. It, w- it was really tough. It upset quite a few salesmen and we lost some sales, but we were able to get it down. And so I really don't want to have to do that with corn heads, but you've got to be able to control it. And the thing about today is if you put a complete stop on anything, well, Tractor House is available to everybody. Fast Line's available to everybody. Everybody's website's available to everybody. So if you stop sales, they're still going to happen. It's just it's going to get something brought into your territory and that becomes a future trade that you're going to have to deal with. So how you control that is tough. Yep. It is the uh, dichotomy that we face every day in this position. You put too much in this piece over here, it doesn't sell. You don't put enough in that piece over there, you don't get it. So you try to find that middle ground that is beneficial to both sides of the situation and, and you hope that you made the right decision when you got it. Yeah. Uh, when you find that crystal ball, let me know because I want a piece of it. Well, everybody gets issued one when you take this position. They maybe they might have forgot to give you one when you when you started. Uh, that explains a lot because yeah. I did not get one. Go to HR, talk to them about your new hire packet. They forgot to give that to you when you're okay. You got hired, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think we've covered it here. So, get anything? Any last words you want to say before we shut it down? I just hope everybody has a good year. You know. The areas that are in drought, hopefully they'll get blessed with some rain and we'll have a safe harvest this year and be a good year for everybody. Right on, man. Thanks, Casey and Kevin. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels, including an Ask the Expert feature on our website, or you can ask him your questions directly. Check it out at farm-equipment.com backslash askthexpert. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of life cycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us for our next episode on June 21st. For Casey and Kevin, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.